Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. What is up, 49ers faithful? We are back with another episode of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast, sponsored by theqbsync.com. Remember, for accurate predictions on every NFL matchup and thought-provoking NFL content that can help your fantasy teams or confidence pools, head to theqbsync.com. And Stas is just you and me today. Levin's out. We, we can't get three guys. You know, it's like the Niners defense, right? We can't get guys healthy enough to, to all go <laughs> play at once. And we're coming off a really weird loss from the 49ers. The first loss of the year that I would say was, was a bad loss to a team they shouldn't have lost to. And it was just a weird game. I was there. And the vibe was just weird. Like the, the team had no sense of urgency. The coaches had no sense of urgency. The the fans, it seems like they had no sense of urgency till the end. It seemed like they they kind of hoped they could just roll out there and and win with a C plus effort. And the Falcons came up and bit them. I totally agree. Uh, everything about this game screamed to me that George Kittle was the only one that was taking it seriously. And I think your point about the fans is a good one. We've seen Levi's this year for for big games at the time and it was rocking and the players noticed it afterwards everybody mm. noticed it even tim kamikawi noticed it like media people noticed that the atmosphere was different and it wasn't like that on sunday everybody just felt like the niners were going to eventually pull away and when they recovered that fumble on the punt when you recovers that fumble and they score that touchdown and it's 19 10 i think everybody said okay it's a little rough but now we're pulling away and things are going to be good and they completely just let their guard down, and the Falcons came back and bit him in the ass. People started leaving, believe it or not. When it got to 1910, it was the beginning of the fourth quarter. It was, they were not even five minutes into the fourth quarter. People were leaving. I couldn't believe that. And I'm like, man, it's funny because when Gold missed that extra point, you texted me. And you're like, that's going to come back and bite them. And I'm like, no, it's not. They're not going to need it. Oh, they'll be fine. And while it didn't exactly come back and bite them, it prevented a chance for them to, to possibly win the game if they got the ball back at the end. But there's so much to talk about this game. I know you were pretty fired up after the game. Uh, I mean, what are some of your thoughts, man? Like, what, what were you feeling after that loss? Uh, I would go with rage, mostly. Um, <laughs> I just, everything I got from everybody in that game was just that they did not take it seriously. I mean, Kyle Shanahan... You know, a week ago, he was the most creative play caller we'd ever seen. He was a wizard back there. He's calling reverses and op- fullback option pitches and every possible trick play under the sun. And the, and the 49ers needed it against the Saints, and it was great. Against the Falcons, forget trick plays. I didn't even see any deep passes down the field. I, I didn't even see any, basically any passes to anybody other than George Kittle with any regularity. I think Debo had like one nice catch and a, and a nice little run. And that was pretty much it. And I just, it didn't look like the same guy to me calling the game as we saw in New Orleans. It almost seemed as if they knew they didn't need to have the game. And, and as the game's unfolding and as the, the playoff scenarios unfold in front of us, we were, we were sitting in the stands and watching the, the big screen, how they, they put the updates on the big screen every time something happens. And everybody saw the, the score of the Cowboys and Rams game and people were cheering. And for a second, I'm like, wait, why are people cheering? I'm like, oh, because if the Rams lose, that's a clinching scenario. And, and I'm, I'm thinking like, if the fans know that's a clinching scenario, then the coaches and players surely also know too. And Kyle, Kyle denied it at the end. There's no way he didn't know oh. what the clinching scenarios are. There's no way. No because way. These, these coaches know everything to last heat. There's no way that he didn't know what's, what was going to happen in every scenario. And he coached like he didn't care about the game. He coached like it didn't matter. And the first drive to me was kind of indic- indicative of that. So they, they came out. Tevin Coleman starts the game, and really the starter doesn't matter for the 49ers running back because they all they all split carries. But Tevin Coleman starts, they get a nothing run. The next play, Staley gives up a really bad stack sack. And, really and, I, bad. And, I do, and I do want to touch on Joe Staley in a little bit, but he gives up a really bad sack. It's third and 15, and Shanahan calls us like a little screen to Tevin Coleman on the sideline. Like I I I have never seen Kyle Shanahan just basically give up on the first drive of the game. Like he didn't give up in the game, but I'm saying like basically concede a punt on the first drive of the game. He's always looking for some sort of positive yardage, but and it was just such a weird play call on um, 30, 15, the first drive of the game. Kyle's like, all right, you know what? We're going to take our punt. This is, this is Kyle Shanahan here. When is he ever conservative? So to me, it was one of those things where he seemed like he just wanted to get out of this game with everybody healthy. And he was going to run a pretty vanilla playbook on offense 
Salah ran a vanilla playbook on defense. They didn't blitz until the fourth quarter, believe it or not. And they ended up losing. And I think that they knew that that was an option that they could have. Like, okay, well, maybe we want to be healthy rather than win this game. Because look, in the standings, it didn't matter whether they won or lost this game. Because at the end of the day, they still have to go up to Seattle and win in Seattle for any of the scenarios for them to win the division and or get home field advantage in that buy to work. It was not going to matter whether they beat Atlanta or not. So in a way, it was a harmless loss. It wasn't a big deal. Yes, it was very, very crappy at the end, and and I did not want it to end that way. But at the end of the day, it did not hurt them in the standings. And really, we learned. I hope Kyle learned a little bit as well. I almost wish that Kyle had come out and not said it because you don't want to just say it. But you know, there's ways to sort of massage it, and where he could have been like, you know what. We got some guys, a lot of guys are banged up this week. I don't know who's going to be able to go and sort of rested guys without officially saying he was going to rest people. I could have lived with that. I could have lived with him saying, you know what? It's going to come down to the last two weeks anyway. Let's rest some guys and we'll we'll get healthy for this stretch run because if they don't get the bye, I mean, they're really going to be in a tight spot when it comes to health. And they, they are now anyway. But, I mean, even without the bye, it looks really, really bleak in terms of a Super Bowl run. So I almost wish he kind of – if he had said that or done that, I would have felt better. Like, all right, you lose the game to the Falcons, whatever. But, you know, going into the game, it was all we got to win this game. It's important, yada, yada, yada. Not going to be a trap game. And they com- they came out and did the complete opposite. And that's why I was just – I mean, you were getting my angry texts. I was freaking out during the game. <laughs> You were, you were. And angry stats is actually really entertaining. One day we should read these transcripts. It's hilarious. But I I think that when it comes down to the way that they approach the game, like he talked about it being a trap game ahead of time and and he said they address the team, but I I just don't know if it sends the right message. If you're, if you're resting guys and if somebody suggested to me privately, like, well, well, they should have just played Mullins if they were going to bench, if they were not going to really try to win this game, but it just sends the wrong message to the team, to the fans. It just, you don't want to be doing that at the end of the season when you still have something to play for and when you still have seating to play for, no matter whether the game matters or not in terms of, of where you're seated. I think that you play to win every single game and, and they did play conservative and they did not throw the ball down the field. Like every it's, it's interesting. Every time Atlanta lined up, they had 10 in the box. It was just literally all 10 guys in the box. The corners were playing press man. It was one single high safety, and they were almost begging the 49ers to throw it deep. They were begging them to do it, and they didn't do it. They played in a, in a 15-yard box all day. There was an over-reliance on Kittle to try to get him the ball, and it worked for the most part, but it just seemed like every single yard that they got, every first down, it was just so difficult. They were, it was such a plotting game. And when it got to 10-10 at halftime, and I was like, man, like this is not the type of game that you want. You're letting them hang around. And at the end yep. of the day, like, they ended up winning. So I think that it's it's a lesson for the 49ers and their coaching staff. It's a lesson for the players. They came out after the game and they said, we need to play with more intensity. And to me, to a man, I think that they're basically a, a really pissed off team right now. And that's it. That's your last freebie. There's no more gimmies now. You have playoff intensity all the way up through the Super Bowl. The next, basically until February, hopefully the Niners are playing in February. Until then, it is playoff intensity. You cannot lose another game until then. I totally agree. And that's why I think, honestly, I think the 49ers are not going to make the Super Bowl unless they get a first-round bye in the playoffs. They don't have to be the one seed. But I think they need a first-round bye. We're talking about a team that hasn't had a week off since, what was it, week four? They're banged up. You know, Obviously, it's a brutal season. It's a brutal sport. I think that they have to absolutely get a bye, which means if if that were to happen, that they need to win five games to win the title. Two right. games here, and then the three in the playoffs. I think that's the only way they can do it. Because I mean, look about you may have to play Dallas in the in the wild card round, and Dallas, you know, despite their record, they have a ton of talent. Look, they just destroyed the Rams last week. Dallas is not a team you want to face in the first round of the playoffs, especially because even if you win that game, you might be beat to hell for the divisional round. Yeah. And you're, you're either going to Seattle or, or New Orleans for that division right. round, or maybe green Bay, if green Bay can get one of the two, top two. So yeah, it's, it's really, it's really important for them to get the, get that first round by now at the very least get the division. So they get a home game. Um, I think that the playoffs, First of all, I want to talk about before we go, continue forward. I want to talk about how great it is that the Niners made the playoffs. Like it's so much fun talking about playoffs scenarios with the Niners involved. It's been seeming like forever 
seemingly like forever since they made the playoffs. So I think that that in itself has been a lot of fun. And I'm really happy about that. And, and it's not the way that we wanted. They went in basically from another team's win and they lost themselves. But at the end of the day, you take it and you want the, you want the passive path of least resistance. And that's, that's home field, right? That's playing as little as few games as possible in the playoffs. And they need, they need to get healthy. D Ford isn't going to be ready for another couple of weeks. Hopefully he comes back to Seattle game. I don't think he will. Um, and you are basically setting yourselves up for a, an epic week 17 matchup. And, and before we get there, uh, I, I want to finish up on this, on this, uh, Falcons game. Robert Sala, I, I think he's done a really good job overall with the team and the defense. I think that he's progressed a lot as a defense coordinator. He's he's been able to make some adjustments and, and other adjustments he has been, has not been able to make. And one example was not doubling Julio Jones in this game. Richard Sherman was out. We knew that Sherman was out. And Robert Sala, at some point during the week, probably went to Kyle Shanahan's office and said, this is how we're going to guard Julio Jones. We're going to single cover him all day. And he said that with a straight face. Thinking <laughs> and then that no one else in the room laughed for some reason. Yeah, and he said that with a straight face and expected that they would win that matchup. So to me, that shows me... So it's, it's interesting seeing how the season is progressing along stats. And the offense is looking like it's, it's kind of hitting its stride. Aside from last game, I feel like it was just more of the play calling. But this offense is, is, is hitting its stride. Jimmy's hitting its stride. It's been a completely different quarterback since that Seattle loss. And the defense has been declining steeply. It's, it's a very steep decline in terms of turnovers, forced sacks, points given up. They're all going in the wrong direction. And part of it is injuries, but I think, I think part of it is that Robert Sala has not adapted his scheme for the injuries. Like Kyle Shanahan, when he had guys out, he, he schemes guys open and he schemes things up to be able to minimize the effect of an injury. And I know Robert Sala has more significant injuries on his side with Quan Alexander and D Ford and Sherman out and Tart out and, and all these guys hurt. But at the same time, it's like, if you're not getting pressure with four, you got to blitz people. If a guy's killing you, catching the ball, you need to double him. These are simple things and he's not doing them. Yeah. I don't, I don't like what I'm seeing from the defense at all. And I know part of it is they've played some mobile quarterbacks and you know, that obviously is going to affect the, the pressure you get and things like that. But I agree with you. The turnovers have dried up. And I just think that when the D-line has to play more snaps, and I think it was actually Grant Cohen who who pointed out that, you know, in the beginning of the year, Bosa and those guys were playing about, you know, 40 snaps a game. And now you look the past few games, they played like 65, 70 snaps. And, mm-hmm. you know, they could say all the right things. Hey, we're not tired. Look, everybody gets tired. There's no shame in that. Football is a hard sport. But when you get tired, you lose that explosiveness. And we have not seen that disruptive 49ers defensive line for a long time. And like you, I'm, I'm really worried about it because when you get to the playoffs, you're not going to be playing Baker Mayfield and Jameis Winston and in those type of guys. You're going to be playing the elite guys that they've been facing and they right. have not lived up to what we saw early in the season. Right. I think a lot of it, is, again, is injuries and the... The effectiveness of, of Nick Bosa is very much dependent on D Ford as well because you can't double team both guys. And we saw a lot of double teams against the Falcons, and teams are doing that more and more going forward. But that being said, if you can't get pressure with four, you need to be able to bring the blitz. Fred Warner is is really good off the blitz. I know that they love to, to blitz Kamon Williams out of the slot, and they didn't have him last game. But you need to be able to do these creative things to be able to get to the quarterback. Matt Ryan was a running, scrambling for yardage from first downs against this 49ers defense. When I saw him doing that, I'm like, come on, this is 37-year-old Matt Ryan. This is not <laughs> Russell Wilson or Kyler Murray or Lamar Jackson here. Come on, guys. So to me, like, yeah, they did look a little bit tired. They looked, they looked fatigued. We know that the depth is gone on the defensive line. Ronald Blair has been out for a few weeks. He's out for the season, obviously. Demontre Moore, the replacement, he's also out for the season. So you're down to your fourth and fifth guys at, on the defensive line backing up Armstead and Buckner so, and, and, and Bosa and, and Ford. So they have to find creative ways of being able to get to the quarterback, and they just weren't able to do that against Atlanta. And the last play of the game, so it was a crazy sequence to end the game, right? The Austin Hooper play, we thought he had it, didn't have it, and then uh, there's a review, timeout, and then uh, the Niners seemingly are supposed to be doubling Julio Jones. He comes in motion. Uh, there's stacked receivers on the left. Julio comes in motion to the right, basically follows Austin Hooper, who takes Dre Greenlaw out of the play. And in the process, one of the guys that was supposed to double over the top was Marcel Harris. Greenlaw runs into Harris. Julio comes underneath. Jimmy Ward has his back to Julio for some reason. I don't know why, because nobody got the crosser. It's basically pitch and catch and then become an athlete after that. 
that's that was an easy pitch and catch for Matt Ryan and Julio. I mean, he's a linebacker. You're not going to stop him one on one. The Niners basically blew that coverage. Uh, part of it was a pick play. Part of it was that nobody picked up Julio on the cross. Mosley had nobody to pick up after that, and and that's your ball game. And as soon as we saw that in the stadium, first of all, we we, we saw they're stopped and like we're all cheering. Then we see the replay up on the big screen. Like, oh, that's a touchdown. Clearly, yeah. it's a touchdown. And it was just such a such a bad way to lose. Just because when they went up by five, I don't have a I don't have a problem with them kicking the field goal. By the way, to go up I five, um, and we'll debate on this in a second. If Kittle gets that first down, basically the game's over, right? They can sit on the ball, kick a field goal, mm-hmm. and, and Atlanta doesn't have any time. But Kittle fumbles it. I don't blame him. He's your best player. I don't blame George Kittle on that at all, right? He's made so many plays for you. That he was the only guy that did anything. Exactly. He gets a pass. The defense and the way that Salah called that defense, basically you're prevent the entire drive, the, the, the next ensuing drive, the, the game-winning drive for the Falcons. The first play is that I believe it was, a, it was a tight end screen. It got like it got 15 to 17 yards. At that point, the clock is running. It's 152. The clock is running. I'm saying Kyle Shanahan, let them score. You have two timeouts left. At that time, I think they had three. You have all your timeouts left. Let them score. So you have time for your offense to be able to at least respond because at the at maximum, you will be down by three points, even if Atlanta got the two. That's where that conversion, the missed PAT came into came into effect, right? Because if they got that, if they ended up getting that, then they could have won the game in the end with the field goal. Anyways, not only did they let Atlanta score, they didn't take any time off the clock. Kyle Shanahan went home with two timeouts. Like, come on, man. You like not only I, I to me, that means that he knew he wanted no part of overtime. He wanted to get out of there basically. I don't want to play an extra quarter. I want my guys healthy. I want to get out of there. So to to me, like they, they could could they have gone for it on fourth and one? I don't know. What do you think? Hell yeah. They should have gone for it on fourth down. And I said it at the time. Uh, I hated it. I mean, first of all, what a fluke fumble by Kittle. Because let me just yeah. say, if if he doesn't fumble that ball, there's no possible way he doesn't get that first down. There was basically one guy between him and the sticks. And we all know if there's one guy between George Kittle and anything, that guy is losing. We've right. seen that. So he fumbles the ball. The ball goes out of bounds. And what was, let me get the situation right, right? It was fourth and one at the 25-yard line with a minute and 48 left. If you're the Niners, you either kick the field goal and then have to stop them, which maybe you do, maybe you don't. You really haven't stopped that much the whole game, especially Julio Jones, who you know they're going to go to. Or you go for it. If you get it, you can run out the clock, like you said. If you don't get it, they still got to, you know, it's at the 25-yard line, which is where they would get it at a touchback anyway. So I just, I thought it was the wrong choice. I think your odds, if you're the 49ers, are much better of getting two yards than they are of stopping Atlanta from going all the way down the field. I just, I think it's, you're an offensive genius, right? That's your jam. That's what you do. You scheme guys open. Well, get a play for two yards and do it. Yeah, I, I, I've heard so much back and forth on this, and I think it's really interesting because I, I agree with both viewpoints, right? This is not one of those, like in the past, I've been pretty critical of Kyle and in, in, in his late game clock management, but this is one of those where I was like, okay, I get it because really I expected them to play better defensively on the next drive because I think that they were they themselves were expecting to play better. But going up five, you're basically up by more than a field goal. Again, that's where that PAT counts because if they were up, if if they went for it and missed... If they had gotten that PAT, they would have been basically up by three. And it looks like our guest has joined the stats. We got John Milikoff from The Athletic. Hey, John, how you doing, man? Hey, what's up, fellas? How you doing? We're just uh, chatting about uh, the, the loss against the Falcons. And why don't we just jump right into it, man? Like, what's the playoffs on the horizon? What would you view that loss as against the Falcons? Is this kind of like more of uh, an anomaly? Or is this like a harbinger of things to come for the Niners? Yeah, I mean, I put it more as an anomaly, uh, unless the injuries are to continue. And as we already see that Sherman's coming back this week, uh, Quan Williams coming back this week, too, with the slot corner. So they really missed Sherman, you know, against Julio Jones. There's probably not a guy, I mean, maybe like Patrick Peterson, you know, in the NFL that's a big corner that is more suited to deal with Julio. And when you're missing your nickel corner too, so you're missing a starter, starting corner and your nickel corner, there's a huge domino effect. I also think when you just factor in the, uh, the intensity of that game last Sunday against the Saints, it, it, 
there was going to be some sort of letdown, right? You know, mm-hmm. and, and playing a team that's not as good record-wise, but they do have a former MVP quarterback and one of the great wide receivers ever. And Grady Jarrett's a really good player, and Dan Quinn's won a lot of games in this league. You know, it's, it's cliche. These coaches always say it, but it is true. You know, you can't sleep on any team in the league. So I, I think it's a little bit of anomaly. I, I would expect them to bounce back strong Saturday night and play, you know, the brand of Niner football, the smash mouth, hardcore defense that we've seen all season long against the Rams. And before you came on, we were kind of just discussing that last play against the Falcons. And Julio Jones obviously came across formation. He crossed. Nobody picked him up. Um, and he was able to get the touchdown. I, are you surprised at all that the Niners, number one, gave him a free release at the line, and number two, uh, did not double him on that last play? Yeah, I'd have to go look back on the formation. Weren't they kind of in a bunch where he was you know, kind of off the line of scrimmage a little bit? They, they were, yeah. There was a bunch on the left, and he came in motion. Mosley came with him, I believe. So it looked like it was man, but it was actually Kyle Shanahan said it was bracket coverage with uh, Marcel Harris and Mosley. I think Harris got picked um, when Austin Hooper ran Dre Greenlaw basically into his lap, and that opened up Jones underneath. Yeah, see, to me, I, I would have approached it kind of like a punt, put two mm-hmm. guys on him at the line of scrimmage, but they kind of schemed it where you weren't going to be able to do that. To me, the game plan has to be you have to follow Julio Jones with two guys. The bracket coverage, you know, typically one guy's in front of him, one guy's behind him. Well, a guy like Julio has seen that his whole life. He's got a feel for getting away from it, and clearly the Falcons knew that they were going to get it. I'm attacking him from both sides, and I'm probably doubling him and Hooper and just making one of the other random guys beat me. But, you know, it's easy to say that. Coaches just don't do that. They, they, They really don't. So I, I don't know why. I mean, it's always something that people, fans and, and GMs and personnel people bang their head against the wall. I, I also think back to what I originally said. Look who you said was on him, right? I mean, Emmanuel Mosley, who's an undrafted free agent from a couple of years ago, who's played valiantly well this year. Mm-hmm. And and Harris, who, you know, is not a starter unless Tart's on the, you know, hurt. So you got two guys that I, I don't Harris and Mosley. Regardless how they approach Julio, I, I think anyone's going to like Julio in that situation, right? Right. That's a good. Point. So it's just it's it, it, it's just one of those where, you know, sometimes LeBron James beats you. You know, sometimes Julio Jones beats you. It, it's why if they would have lost to a bad team with Atlanta's record is bad, and they also had bad players, to me, then I'd be concerned. You know, if Julio Jones was. John Middlecoff, just some random wide receiver. You'd be like, are you kidding me? But it was Julio Jones that really kind of kicked their ass. So it's like, that's why I don't really freak out much over that game. Looking at the defense in general, John, I know that the schedule has picked up and it's, it's been a lot tougher lately than it was earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. But I look at the defense and I don't see the same defense that we saw early in the season. And they've had some injuries, yes. But from Bosa, Armstead, Buckner, those guys don't look the same to me. I'm concerned about the defense going forward, especially as they get to the playoffs. Are you concerned? Yeah, I mean, I, I just think you get worn down as the season goes on. What made them really special to start the season off is they had like eight defensive linemen. Mm-hmm. And even when the starters were in there with Bosa, the two Oregon guys, and D Ford, it was a pretty down, balanced front, right? You have the two big guys that are just monsters. You had Ford, who's probably the fastest pass rusher in the NFL. And then you had Nick. Early on, he was just playing so hard, and he's figuring it out, but he was still making plays. And then, like, probably by, like, week six or seven, we realized, like, is this guy, like, an all-pro? And then once Ford got hurt, to me, it just – it's easier to treat Nick Bosa than, like, Khalil Mack. And I know Kyle had talked about it, I think, last week. The Saints were just sending Latavius Murray at him. Well, if you, if you double Nick Bosa and you got D Ford and Buckner Armstead just on the other side, those guys are going to eat, you know. And D Ford being out, you know, when you when you trade a second round pick and pay a guy with an injury history some money, sometimes he gets hurt. And I, I I think the good thing about that acquisition is you go well, maybe he'll be back before the playoffs. And it's not like it's a bust move, right? Because when he's been on the fa- field, he's a he's an elite pass rusher. He's an elite speed rusher. But he's just, can you really count on him now? And then I, I do think the last couple of weeks with Tart being out, you just, 
you can't afford to lose safeties when you're playing teams with good tight ends because the majority of safeties in this league are just going to struggle to cover. It's just a hard thing to do. And he was pretty good at it, you know, and it, and obviously with the corners playing well, the, the, the 49ers, for, like, if you told me Richard Sherman misses a playoff game or whatever, they'll lose. Like Richard Sherman's importance to the defense is just immense. Like I, I don't even know how you quantify it, but I think you quantify it by just showing last week. Right? You know, there, there's no way if Richard Sherman's playing, I, I just don't think they lose that game. I really just think it's that simple. Talking to John Middlecoff of the Athletic and the Three and Out podcast, and John, I want to stay on Richard Sherman for just a second. The Pro Bowl voting just came out, and Richard Sherman made his fifth Pro Bowl and got that escalator in his contract, so he got a million extra dollars. He's clearly not the same Richard Sherman that he was when he was in Seattle, but can you talk, kind of talk about the impact that he's had on the 49ers just in general, like their defense? He seems like the elder statesman and the guy that keeps him in check. Can you talk about his impact that he's had during, during the course of this season? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's just probably one of the more, just on the surface, one of the more famous players in the league. So anytime you walk in a room and you have his level of fame, it just people are going <clears> to <throat> respect it. And then you, when you factor in the, why he has the fame, he was an elite player on a team that went to multiple Super Bowls, and he was arguably their first or second best player. So you go, this guy, and then he's just a badass. You know, he's a tough guy. He tackles. I think you hit a good point. Like, he's not as fast. And he never was that fast, <clears throat> but he's nowhere near probably the athlete that he once was, and that's understandable, right? He tore his Achilles. He's so smart, and, you know, he talks about it, and you can just see it in his movements. He knows what you're doing before you do it, mm -hmm. and you probably think it speaks to he's a Stanford guy, so he's naturally intellectually brilliant. You know, he's smarter than most people you'll ever meet, but then football smarts, he's just, you know, playing for Harbaugh and then playing and Fangio and those guys at Stanford, and then going to Seattle with Pete Carroll. Think of the football minds he's been around, and... I just think you get older, you get wiser, you get smarter as a football player, and then he just has something that really translates, and he's just tough. You know, and most corners, and I don't blame them. I mean, corners, they're usually pretty small, and the guys running at them are much bigger. They don't like to tackle. But he's probably, in my lifetime, you know, I'd have to really research it, but I think he might be the best tackling corner I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. I mean, because he tackles like a linebacker, so – even if he gives up plays in front of him, he makes the tackle. So that sometimes you see corners, right, they give up plays in front of them. But then if they miss half the tackles, that, that's going to lead to a lot of explosive plays, long touchdowns. Sherman just does not miss tackles. I mean, he technically did on that one, that Thursday night game against Arizona. I think right. it was Isabella cut it back. But that, right. I wouldn't, that, that was just kind of a freak play, right, more than a quote-unquote missed tackle. Mm -hmm. If the guy catches it in front of him and he's covering him, he just tackles the guy. And the other thing I think he did is he just brought a lot of credibility to the Niners. You know, just an older winner who just, you know, conducts his – he's kind of like the Joe Staley on defense. And for a couple of years, they didn't really have that. You know, once they got rid of Bowman for that, like, year with Foster getting in trouble, they just had some issues. And I think that, you, again, you can't quantify probably what Sherman – there's a reason they put him up for man of the year. Like, he's – He's very important to their team. I want to flip it over to the offensive side of the ball. And when you talk about the Niners offense, you got to talk about Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, it's funny. When he does well, it's because Kyle Shanahan <clears throat> schemed guys open. But the 49ers offense last week did not look that great. I didn't hear anybody criticizing Kyle Shanahan because of that. I heard him criticizing Jimmy Garoppolo. Where do you come down on the, it's all Shanahan, it's Garoppolo. How much credit does each guy deserve for their success? Yeah, I mean, I think we could play that game all day long. It's probably a combination of both. I would lean definitely the first half of the season. Kyle was doing a lot. I mean, he's just the play calling, the the ability to run the ball, the trick plays, the just just everything. The, the end arounds, the double pass, you name it. He, he ran it all. I really think the last month, really before the Atlanta game, Jimmy had been awesome. You know, that's, that's New Orleans Saints game. I mean, I, I don't know if you can play that much better. He, he was He was fantastic. So we've seen, like, how good Jimmy can be. It's just hard to sustain, you know, that level of play when you're still relatively – he's an older player, but he's only a young – I think he has the same amount of starts as, like, Sam Darnold. He just hasn't started that many games. So, you know, he's still learning on the fly. And let's not act like, besides George Kittle, 
I know Emmanuel Sanders have had some moments, and Debo's still figuring it out, but they, they don't exactly have Jerry Rice and John Taylor and Terrell Owens as their wide receiving core. So, mm-hmm. And I, I thought last week I saw someone tweeted something out online about Grady Jarrett was just killing their offensive line, just all over Jimmy. And just, again, it's hard in the NFL. You know, it's just when, when you make a lot of money, when you're that famous, the standards are really high, and we I, I didn't think he was that bad. You know, he, he wasn't great, but he wasn't – he just maybe could have made another play or two. But it, it doesn't change the way I think about Jimmy Garoppolo, who's a guy that I think going into the playoffs, they could – you know, if they're healthy, can win the whole thing. So it seems like the Niners – I mean, the way that Kyle Shanahan was calling plays, you just mentioned how inventive he was and how good Jimmy was against the Saints. It seems like – they kind of dialed it back against Atlanta for whatever reason. And I think maybe speculation is that like they knew that they would get a playoff spot no matter what with the Rams game. And uh, for those of us at the, at the game on, on Sunday, like you see it on the board and everything and the Rams were losing. So by that time we knew everybody in the stands knew. So we're assuming everybody on the sidelines knew as well that the Niners made the playoffs. But that being said, like how can we see Kyle Shanahan be this genius offensive mind one week against the saints and then the next week against the Falcons, his mm-hmm. offensive line can't even block four guys and they can't get a pass off. Yeah, I, I think we make more of that on the outside about him dialing it back or dialing it up more than, like, I, I think he approaches every game the same. And, and maybe there's a chance, I don't know if he'd admit this, but he overthought it because he's like, I, I know Dan knows what I like to do. So he tried to be different. You know, it's just it's like a player. You're not going to have 16 perfect game plans. And I'd say for the most part, right, Kyle, if you were grading Kyle Shanahan on the season, he'd get like an A. Mm-hmm. So I, I I don't know. I don't really know how to like kind of sum up what happened on Sunday. I mean, it wasn't his quote-unquote best game. But I, I just wonder playing a coach that you used to work for, your guys are really tired. And like you said, I mean, they, they knew the Rams in Seattle, so you want to save a couple things. But for the most part, I, I think coaches are just, they live week to week so much that if they had a trick play or something they thought would work, they would have, like, busted it out. You know, they were winning. What was, you know, when, when uh, they scored in the second half to go up before Robbie missed the PAT, they were up 19 to 10, mm-hmm. you know, in the second half at home against a team with four wins. The Kyle had to think, like, let's just, run this bad boy kind of out, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, when you're playing Julio Jones, it doesn't work out well. Now, let me look ahead to the playoffs because they're, they're in the playoffs. I personally think that the only way the Niners get to a Super Bowl is if they get a first-round bye because I think they're so beat up and the competition in the NFC is so tough. If the Niners have to play in the wildcard round, do you think they can make the Super Bowl? No, I'm, I'm completely with you. It's just too hard. And that would also probably account, right, they, that would mean they lost in Seattle, which would probably be a really physical game. And you're playing Saturday night, which even if they win, it's going to be intense. I mean, the Rams aren't, you know, they're not as good as they have been the last couple of years, but they're still a really physical team and they got really good players on defense. So you would throw the kitchen sink at these next two weeks and then you'd come up short and then you'd have to go to Dallas or Philly. Like, to me, I, I keep thinking that I, I understand that the record of whoever gets that four seed who wins the NFC East is going to be like eight and eight. But that's just, I mean, that's still, you got to go on the road, especially in Philly, it's cold, or in Dallas. Yeah, the co- their coach sucks, but their team's talented. Like, it, it, it's not inconceivable if they aren't able to get over the hip, the hill in Seattle, which I, mean, I think we'd have to lean until they do it. It's hard to pick them. Uh, that, that round one game would be really hard. But let's assume, okay, they kind of rally the troops, win that game. Think of what they would have to play next week. They would either have to go to Seattle or to the Saints, who would be rested. And the Niners would have just played, you know, basically three straight playoff games with a bunch of injuries. That, that Yeah, I, I think it would be borderline impossible for them to make the Super Bowl. It, it would be one of the uh, – they would have to retroactively give Kyle Shanahan the coach of the year award if they didn't, if he doesn't win it straight out. All right, John, a couple more for you. So with Pro Bowl voting complete and the rosters announced. I mean, do you, do you, do you guys agree? Do you guys agree? I mean, that would just be a really, really hard task to make Super Bowl. Yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely, 100%. Like, I mean, I think the Niners have won only five road playoff games in their entire history, and uh, three of them came from Kaepernick. So, yeah, that in itself, right? Like, it's just. Well, it's just well, and, th- and think about those road games that Kaepernick and Harbaugh won. Like, that game at Green Bay in the first round in that wild card weekend in the freezing cold was so hard to win. Mm-hmm. And then, even, the, even that next week in Carolina, I'm pretty sure it was like a three point game at halftime. That Carolina team was pretty good. It's just hard. You know, it's, it's really, really hard. And that going on the road to win that Carolina game. I would imagine it would be much more difficult, like going to Seattle or going to New Orleans is more difficult than winning that Carolina game. That that Carolina team, the next year, they were they were playing in Super Bowl 50, and Cam was the MVP. So that team was basically, that Carolina team, that Kaepernick Oh, Thomas went, Davis, Keekly, yeah, Cam, all those guys, Greg Olds, they were loaded. Yeah, that team, was, that team was in the Super Bowl the next year, and they went there and they beat them. It was huge. And the other For thing sure. that... that- you know, you, you got to think of too. If they have to play the Cowboys in the first round, well, if the Cowboys win this week, they got the East. They can rest up Week 17 before the playoff game. So if the Niners have to play Dallas, it's like basically they're going to have rested all their guys too. So that just makes the the whole trip that much harder. <laughs> I, I heard. Uh, I didn't even realize that until I heard Peter King say that this week. Like, because I think winning the division, if you win a division at like 500, and the five seed is 11 or 12 or 13 wins, that's insane. Like that's just that's crazy. And then you factor in that they're, like you said, they could just use week 17 as a buy while the Niners would still be fighting for the NFC West. Yeah, it's just, I'm telling you, I, I view that Cowboys game as a lot more difficult, I think, than like the casual fan does around here. It's just it's just such a crazy set of circumstances. Like the Niners made the playoffs for the first time in five years. And we're talking about like, oh man, it's going to be so, instead of being happy about it, everybody's like really stressing out about where they're going to play. And I do think in fairness to people kind of being stressed out when, whenever you're 11 and two and for a long period of time with the number one overall seed, and it just shows you the margin of victory because Seattle was right there. And then it gets back to that Monday night, just losing that Monday night game Mm -hmm. has just major, major ramifications. You know I mean? That was just, to me, that is just the moment, and I was at that game, and everyone realized how intense that game was, but I don't think anyone in the moment realized how big losing a home game to Seattle, just given that they were going to have the same freaking record the whole year. Because mm-hmm. if you watch Seattle, you're like, you know, they're solid, and any Niner fan would be the first to tell you Russell Wilson's like one of the greatest players ever. But you're just like, uh, you know, Chris Carson fumbles. Their defensive players have, have been pretty average for the most part, but they just – Unlike the 49ers, they just found a way to win that one extra game. Like, they, they just find a way to win the, the, uh, the Atlanta game, right? Like, Seattle just would have found a way to win that game somehow. Like, they would have tackled Julio Jones at the one-yard line. And the Niners didn't, and right now that's the difference. Yeah, I think that's what that's what the difference has been with the Seahawks and a lot of other teams. They just they they find ways to win. Whether it's like, I mean, we all remember the fail Mary and Lucky bounces and stuff, but but they find a way to win. They find a way to keep it close. I always say that against Russell Wilson, you have to play basically five quarters against him because he will he is such a good fourth quarter quarterback, probably the best in the league right now. And for them in that game, when, when that happened, it's funny that you mentioned that when they lost that game, I was like, just watch. It's all going to come out of the last game of the season. By that time, there was, what, six games left by that point, right? Like, that's six or seven games left after that. But I was like, those games aren't going to matter. It's going to come down to the last game. And and that's the football gods will have it that way, right? Well, and that's what's cool. We'll probably get that game on Sunday Night Football. And that that's another thing is the games on Sunday Night Football, you know, for the winner to basically get the one seed. I don't know if Seattle would be the lock one seed because they lost to New Orleans. But the Niners, they'd be get the one seed or the five seed assuming they win this week uh, against the Rams, that like that game, if it's Sunday night, what if the 49ers have to play the Cowboys on Saturday night on NBC? And, you know, I, I don't know exactly if there are rules on that type of stuff, but the Niners would be at a massive disadvantage. If, they, if it's Sunday night football, they lose in Seattle, and then they got to play the Cowboys who have rested all week. It just it's a shitty break given how great the season has been. Like you said, given how bad the last four or five years have been, everyone should be happy, but they feel it just shows you in sports. Once you kind of taste it, it'd be one thing if the Niners were like eight and four, I think right now. And it was like, you know, they're going to be a five or six seed. It's really been a cool season. Maybe they can win a playoff game. 
But I think by about midway, definitely in that Packer game, people are like, this team could like make the NFC Championship game. And then a couple mm-hmm. weeks later, you beat the Saints, who are clearly you know a top two or three team in the league in New Orleans, and people go, why couldn't they win the Super Bowl? And it's fair, right? And now it's mm-hmm. like, are we sure they're going to make it out of the first round? Crazy. Right. Right. It's, it's, it's so crazy. And it's, it just goes to show how crazy the NFL is like the AFC's, the AFC is totally different. The Ravens had 12 guys made the pro bowl. The Niners you know, with all their talent only had four and, and their snubs <clears> all over the place, but it's just kind of how, how everything's playing out now, John, before I let you go, I have, I have one more question for you about the Raiders and, and I know we're a Niners show and, and everybody sports the Niners here, but I, I can't let you go without asking you what you think about the Raiders and the, the showing that they have the Coliseum, they lost to Jacksonville, a uh, pretty, uh, pretty heartbreaking ending there. Fans were really pissed off. Like, what, what do you take away from all of that that that, that happened against the Raiders? <clears throat> yeah, it's just a, it's just a sad deal. I mean, just from a football standpoint, you know, th- this team just moves all the time. But it's their third move now in forty years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for one of the you know before I, I was born in nineteen eighty four. Like, you know, people in Northern California in the 70s, I mean, the Raiders were the team, right? John Madden, mm-hmm. Kenny Sabler. And then they moved and the Niners took over. And then I think when they came back, the Niners were such a big dynasty that they always kind of had this kind of chip on their shoulder and they were never able to maximize profits or popularity around here. And the Niners kept winning when they got back. And yeah, it just, the way the 2000s played out with Al Davis kind of losing it and everyone then becoming the butt of everyone's jokes. And, you know, every time that you feel like, you know, they get Amari Cooper, Khalil Mack, and Derek Carr. Like, imagine if the Niners, like five years ago, when after Harbaugh left and he got a rough time, if they had landed three guys like that. You'd be like, wow, we're going to build around these guys and have a team. And then four years later, Khalil's in Chicago, Amari's in Dallas, and Derek hasn't played as well, but it feels like, is he going to make it to Vegas? And it's just, it's just kind of the story of the Raiders. They can't get anything right, no matter what they attempt to do. And now they're moving to Vegas, and they think they're going to be a big deal. It's going to be a corporate crowd, you know, of just the, it's just kind of a sad deal, you know. And just for them to lose that last game at the Coliseum, honestly, kind of feels right. It, it definitely, when you, when you think, like, what's their legacy the last 25 years? It's really losing and even more than losing, it's doing crazy, crazy things, right? right? Trying to move like seven different places. Lane Kiffin, uh, they buried a football when Dennis Allen got this, just <laughs> random, crazy, weird stuff. And, the, and in fairness, like the Niners had dysfunctional times, but it, was, it always felt a little different than the, the Raiders were even like the, the 10 times crazier version of even like when Jed was going through some stuff with, Singletary dropping his pants or firing Harbaugh, whatever the Raiders would do something, it would always make Niner fans go, "Oh yeah, they're way they're, they're our crazy neighbor." You know, they make <laughs> us feel a little bit better. And that's luckily now with Kyle and, and the guys, it, maybe the Niners become a little more stable. I mean, they feel like it now, but we'll see if they can just sustain this. Like to me, the the goal with the Niners now is just to sustain everything. You know, not just be a consistent playoff team for the next five, six years, and give yourself a shot every year. Where the Raiders now have, like, blown it up every other year. Now they've blown it up kind of again. It's like, who, who, how are they going to be any good next year in Las Vegas? It's, look, how, look how hard it was for the Niners to get good. Mm-hmm. It's hard. You know, it's really hard. And then in their division, unlike, like, they got Patrick Mahomes and Andy mm-hmm. Reid, who are just not going away anytime soon. So it's, it's going to be really hard. Sad deal, but you know, I know a lot of season ticket holders. It's I feel I feel bad for him. It sucks. I do too. And when you look at Mark Davis and his comments uh, before the game, and I, I know you saw that with the with the interview that he had and about talking about nostalgia, and he was just totally disinterested. And I mean, that guy can't wait to get on a plane to Vegas. It's just it's just a really really sad situation. Uh, it really is. Yeah, I mean, the one thing the one thing that's cool forever about here is we had multiple teams. And, you know, I grew up a Niner fan, but now I don't really care as much anymore. But the one thing that sucks is, like, whenever you're talking football, there's always, like, this fighting between the two, and especially Raider fans always being kind of jealous. Mm-hmm. Like, when, when I lived in Philly, it was just everyone pulled on the same end of the rope. Now, whether you were mad at the team or not, like, everyone rooted for the Eagles, right? Or everyone roots for the Cowboys, or everyone roots for 
you know, the Minnesota Vikings that live in Minnesota or the Packers in the Midwest. And I do think, and like, that's going to be the cool part about the Bay Area is, and like, in five years, like, my unborn children won't even know the Raiders exist in here. Mm-hmm. So in like 10 <laughs> years, it'll just, everyone's going to be a Niner fan. It'll, it'll be like the Warriors, which to me, I, I, I'm looking forward to that aspect of just, there's so much anger around the Raiders. And partly because their team always sucks. I don't even blame them for being so mad. But it's just, you know, I deal with a lot. See, the infighting, they're always mad at the Niners and jealous. And it's just that those days went and everyone can just be mad at the Niners or happy at the Niners. But it'll all be directed at one team, which, which will be nice. Well, there you have it. John Milikoff, host of 3 and Out podcast and The Athletic. Doing that damn thing with Guy Haberman, man. That's awesome to see you guys still doing that. Like I, I remember you guys on the radio here and listening to your podcast. You guys are you guys are fantastic. Why don't you tell people where they can find it? Yeah, I mean, just type in Haberman and Middlecoff. That's uh, we talk a lot of 49ers there. And uh, yeah, just find me on Twitter. I tweet out all the links. You can find it on iTunes, probably the easiest place where most people listen. Got another podcast, Three and Out. That's kind of like a national football show and. I talk a lot of football on Twitter and just talk about a lot of different stuff. So at John Middlecop is my name. It's actually my actual name, but it's also my Twitter handle. And yeah, follow away. Thanks. Phil. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, no problem. Man. Thanks for, thanks for coming on. See you guys. All right. And thank you so much again to John Middlecoff. That was a good talk. I love having John on the show, man. He's such a good football personality. He always has something interesting to say. Love his podcast. He puts out periscopes and stuff on Twitter that are awesome. Definitely give him a follow. Really, really awesome guy to talk to. Really, really awesome guy to listen to. Oh, is this where I talk? <laughs> yeah, this is where no, you I, talk. I thought you were going to keep going. No, no, I'm. Well, I, I could. I mean, I could. John, you know, John's been on the show a couple of times, and and he's he's so gracious whenever he comes on, and uh, just a really cool guy to talk to. I love I love talking to football personalities and just talking shop with these guys. Right. It's just, it's just so cool in a way, like uh, stats, what we do, like what you said a couple of weeks ago, like what you do is so cool. I feel like that myself too. Like, you know, the people that we get to talk to and the access that we get and the, the, the way that we're able to put our voice out there and the people that we reach, it's really, really cool what we get to do. And I really, really appreciate it. Oh, it, it never wears off. I mean, if you love it, like we love it, it, it never wears off. It's awesome. And, and, you know, I, I think what John was saying, he kind of brought up a calmer perspective than me. Like when he was talking about Kyle and how, you know, the coaches have, you know, they don't have perfect game plans every week. And, and you hear that and it's like, okay, I know he's right objectively. My head knows he's right. But my heart and my gut just want to reach to the TV screen and choke Kyle Shanahan. <laughs> hopefully next week we won't be in that spot we won't and let's talk about next week but before we get to next week let's uh let's give out game balls levin uh we, we texted him earlier to get his game ball he's like it was a piss poor performance nobody gets a game ball from levin <laughs> <laughs> so levin does not give a game ball um i will give my game ball to george kittle the only guy that gave a crap basically until the fourth quarter uh 13 catches on i believe they targeted him 17 times so he was a machine. He was the only guy really that, that was a reliable target and he was Jimmy's go-to and he's 200 yards away, I believe from another thousand yard season. And he would be the only 49ers tight end to go back to back thousand yard seasons in their, in their history. So George Kittle gets my game ball. Yeah. I don't have a game ball either. That was, a, I mean, you took Kittle and there literally was nobody else to give a game ball to. I didn't really think anybody else had a good game. I, I, I was so disappointed with, with the team that I saw out there. You know, it, it, I was having flashbacks to some of the dark days, to be honest with you. I was having flashbacks to even before the dark days, even the pre-Garoppolo days. Watching that defense, watching the Falcons go down the field on them, it was, it was terrible. I was having nightmares. Yeah, it was not, it was not their best performance. But, but like John said, I think this is an anomaly. I think that they learned a lot from this loss. And t- going forward, this Rams game, I think they'll come out firing. Before the last two times they lost, we saw them kind of go out, go come out, come out sluggish. Uh, specifically in that that Arizona game where uh, they came out sluggish off of that loss to Seattle, got down by sixteen points immediately, and then they were ended up having to come back and they won that game in the last thirty seconds. And then again against the Saints after the loss against the Ravens, where they came out immediately get down twenty one seven, and the entire game is an uphill battle, which they ended up winning in the end. So. It's going to be interesting to see what they what they do against the Rams. It's a Saturday game, as we know, and it's it's a short turnaround. And uh, the Niners are getting Sherman back. They're getting uh, uh, Quan Williams back. Doesn't look like Tart's going to play. D Ford is not going to play. 
Uh, Julian Taylor may not play. He didn't practice uh, as of the recording of the show. So really you do get a couple of key pieces back on defense, but at the end of the day, this is a, this, if you want that number one seed, you have to win this game. There are no more gimmies. We talked about earlier in the show. You've used all of your freebies up. You have to win every single game from here on in. The thing I'm worried about when it comes to the Rams is the interior offensive line. You mentioned it earlier. Grady Jarrett dominated the 49ers. Mm -hmm. And guess who's in the middle of the defense now when they play the Rams next week? Aaron Donald, who's unblockable when you have your number one starters. And with Weston Richburg out, I'm really worried about basically Aaron Donald just wreaking havoc the, the entire game. You know, Chris Sims has a stat he likes to keep track of called F the playup. And Aaron Donald is the master of that. It's basically invented for him because there are so many plays where he may not get a sack, but he's through the line so quickly, he disrupts everything you're trying to do in the backfield, whether it's a run or a pass. And I I just have a big concern that they're just not going to be able to stop him. And if you get pressure up the middle, disrupting things in the backfield, your whole offense just disintegrates. Gurley's going to play too. That's the other big thing is that they didn't have Gurley last game in LA. And... The first drive, actually, in L.A., they, they came out, they ran the ball eight times. They ran times down the field, yeah. Yep. It was eight straight runs, and they were able to score a touchdown. So I think that Sean McVay is going to have something similar for the 49ers. Their run defense is is not the best part of their game. They're, they're much better in pass defense, and they're missing players on the defensive line, obviously missing Quan, Al- uh, Quan Alexander in the middle. But when it comes down to it, this is one of those games where the Rams are fighting for their playoff lives. If they lose, they're eliminated. So... This is one of those things where the Niners have that motivation where they can actually wreck somebody's season. And it's the first time this year that you're going to see one of those games. Uh, up, up until now, the seedings have been up in the air and we really haven't known. But this is the first time this season, in Week 16, where the Niners can effectively end somebody's season. And I'm so interested to see what they do, how they come out. Do they take advantage of this opportunity or do they play it like another Falcons game where they know that even, even if they lose this game, mathematically they can still win the division if they win in Seattle next week. Are they going to play close to the vest to keep guys healthy for next week? Are they going to try to go all in and win this week? It's such an interesting storyline to me. I mean, Jared Goff is, is such an up and down quarterback. Like the Rams just got blasted in Dallas. You mentioned that earlier with, when talking about Dallas in the playoffs, they just got blasted. And to me, the Rams are a much better team than what they showed in Dallas. We know that they beat Seattle pretty soundly in LA. But I think that speaks more to how poor Seattle played more than how good the Rams are. Um, I don't think that Seattle is worth what their record is, but it's just they keep winning close games. They're 10-1 in one-score games, right? So uh, they, they know how to win those games, as, as John mentioned in our, in our interview right now. But it's going to be one of those games that's going to be a knockdown, drag-it-out game. I don't think it's going to be a, a game where the Niners will run away like the first time. It'll be another close game. Like The time for blowout wins is gone. Every team that you play from here on in is going to be a playoff contending team, a good team. So you're not going to blow anybody out anymore. I would love to see it, but I don't think it's going to happen. So um, Lovin gave his prediction. We're roll right in the predictions. Lovin gave his prediction to us uh, via text. Uh, I believe he said 34-13 on his text. He said it's going to be a, a, a not, not a particularly close game. He thinks that the Niners are going to roll. Um, I don't know, Stats, what do you think? I don't think the Niners are going to roll. I wouldn't be stunned at all if the 49ers lost this game. Uh, If I had to make a pick, I would pick Niners 24-20. I think it's going to be very close. Um, And I think, sadly, I think it's going to be the last 49ers home game of the season. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Niners this week as well. Uh, I didn't make a pick last week. I would have picked the Niners, though. But um, I'm going to go with the, the Niners again this week. And... I'm going to say it'll be 28-24. I feel like the defense is leaky. I feel like Robert Saul is not adjusting to his guys being out. He's not blitzing as much. There's not as much pressure being put on the quarterback uh, by this 49ers defensive line. There's the, the depth is, is dried up. Everybody's hurt. So I think that's going to be another one of those nail-biter games where they'll have to hang on till the end. Um, I'm not sure if, if this is going to be the last home, home game for the 49ers. I, I'm not sure about that. But I think that they're going to win this one. I'm going to say 28-24 Niners. God, I hope you're right. The thing I worry about, too, is that I feel like McVay already went through his rough patch as a play caller earlier in the season. And I think now the Rams are in that the hell with it mode. They're giving Gurley the touches that they need to to really 
make that offense function. I think he's sort of hitting his stride. He's made those adjustments. And like you said, I don't know that the 49ers have, and I hope that Kyle does, and I hope that Robert Sala does, but we haven't seen it yet. Yeah, and the de- their defense has Jalen Ramsey now, who made the Pro Bowl basically based off of merit pretty much alone. But he made the Pro Bowl. Uh, you mentioned Aaron Donald. Um, they've got Clay Matthews as well coming off the edge. So I think that it's it's a better defense than they're playing the first time around that, that they saw. Um, the corners, uh, Marcus Peters for for uh, uh, Jalen Ramsey, that's kind of a wash. I'd say that they're, they're almost equal. I'd almost say Peters is better, to be honest. But... This is one of those games where you it's it's gut check time, right? This is one of those games where again you have the power to end somebody's season. They're going to be fighting like hell to try to win this game. Sean McVay will pull out all the stops. I, I expect trick plays. I expect up tempo offense from him. Uh, like stats, you realize the Niners barely went up tempo in this Falcons game. Like they they didn't do anything. They didn't go up tempo. There weren't any trick plays. They played in a in a fifteen yard box. They can't have that repeat of that performance against the Rams. They can't. And 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 I think that. Part of it is what the defense gives you, but at the same time, you have to be able to force the action a little bit. And this is one of those games where it's put up or shut up time, right? Like this is your division rival. You have a chance to really put yourself in position to try to get home field advantage in the playoffs. And it's, uh, boy, I, I, I'm already looking ahead to next week, right? But it's, it's one of those games where you cannot overlook the Rams. You can't. And hopefully they don't, and uh, hopefully they prove that we're the team that we thought they were, but uh, I don't feel comfortable. I haven't felt comfortable since, geez, I don't even, it's been weeks since I felt comfortable, and the knot in my stomach is getting bigger and bigger as we go along, so we'll find out. Right, we will find out. So, any last thoughts, man? It's it's uh, a Saturday game, so I, I will say this. When I was a kid, I used to love Saturday games because this was before Thursday night football was a thing. And, and it was great because you'd be off for the, the winter break and you get football games, NFL football on Saturday, Sunday, Sunday night, and Monday night. So literally your entire weekend was filled with football and it was great because you get to see some games on Saturdays like you, you don't usually see. And, and this is kind of a funny thing where they flexed it out to Saturday. But I think that it's going to be it'll serve them well because you don't get to just sit back and see what everybody else is doing. You, you own, you control the action. You were able to get back on the field after a tough loss. Even if it's just a day earlier, like you could see it after they lost that game, they were pissed off. And Jimmy said it in his press conference on uh, on Wednesday. He said they were pissed off that they lost to a team with a losing record like that. Right. George Kittle, he was the most serious I've ever seen him in a press conference after the game. He wanted to get right back out there and play. So having a Saturday game, I think is, is conducive to be able to get them to turn, turn it around a lot quicker. I've never been a fan of the Saturday game. I'm I'm like the rare football fan. I love pro football. I have no tolerance for college football whatsoever. And when they play on Saturday, it just makes me think of college football games. It makes the game feel less big to me. I, I like a game on Sunday afternoon, 4.30 Eastern, or Sunday night, or even Monday night, as long as I can watch it on mute. That feels big to me. On Saturday, it doesn't do anything for me, especially because I'm usually doing stuff on Saturday. You know, I'm with the family. Yeah. Granted, this is Saturday night, so it's a little easier, but much, much easier on Sunday. Give me my Sunday football, please. None of this Saturday business. This isn't college. These are the big boys. Well, you get you, Florio, and Sims have, what do you have, card games on Saturday? Like, the stuff going on? <laughs> no, I do stuff sometimes. <laughs> like, like, la- like, well, last weekend for the Saints game, or two weekends ago, I should say, I was at a family Christmas party, so I couldn't watch the game. So once the fourth quarter game is I'm following on my phone, I just said to hell with it, punched up the NFL app and just absolutely nuked all of my data streaming <laughs> the fourth quarter of that game in HD. But you know what? It was worth it. I hope I'm in as good a mood this weekend. I hope so too. Well, there you guys have it. So for Stats Guerrera and Levin Black, who is not here. Oh, by the way, I just want to address this before we go. So I lost the bet. Uh-huh. I lost the technical bet. I was not able to to be here last week to address it, but I'm here this week. I lost the Taysom Hill bet. The bet was Taysom Hill against the Niners getting either 30 yards and or a touchdown. He got 25 yards, and he lost about five yards in various plays on end arounds. So of course he did. That's what he does. <laughs> hey, he had a touchdown this past week. Okay, I should have made the bet this past week. So I had to change my avatar or my my profile picture to a Russell Wilson picture. 
Fortunately, I chose the picture, and I did not stipulate that stats would have to choose the picture. So I chose drunk Russell Wilson, which was great. Bad job, I mean. And, <laughs> and uh, I pr- very promptly after the 49ers lost to the Falcons, I changed it back to a picture of myself uh, in Paris, uh, repping the Niners as I always do. So we need we need Lebanon too. We need to get him somehow. We need to get him into one of these bets. So we'll we'll talk about off air. We'll see if we can we can goad him into one of these bets. But that being said, I was a man of my word. I kept the Russell Wilson picture up for a week. And um, I will never do that again in my life. So, <laughs> How dare you challenge me? But a, a virtual, virtual uh, over-the-air handshake to you, sir. It was, uh, it was a pleasure. Uh, and congratulations on winning that bet. So with that, for Rob Guerrero, who is the winner of the Taysom Hill bet, and Levin Black, who is the instigator of the Taysom Hill bla- the bet, I am Zane Nackby. Thank you very much to John Middlecoff for joining us this week on the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast, sponsored by theqbseek.com. And remember, for accurate predictions on every NFL matchup and thought-provoking content that can help your fantasy teams or confidence pools, head to theqbseek.com. Talk to you guys later.